Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. Jesus picks up where we leave off. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to think about your faithfulness to the generations. Please let the meditations of our heart, words of our mouth, please you especially with what I say, let it honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm ninety four fourteen says, The Lord will not forsake his inheritance. In previous episodes, we talked about how God is faithful to the generations. And today we're going to talk about starting with Rachel and moving through Judah and Joseph to the line of Jesus, how God is faithful. Genesis 35, starting in verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that, surprise, you don't expect this to say this, Reuben, his son, his firstborn from Leah, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Isn't that the way sometimes? In family, we can have highs and extreme lows. One of the most important moments in life is the birth of the next one. Rachel named her son Ben-Oni, which means literally son of my sorrow, and his father renamed him son of the right hand. Reminds me of a story. My grandma, my late grandma, she passed in 2010. When she was born, her mother wanted to name her Adeline and her father wanted to name her Phyllis. And so finally, after much debate, my great grandma said, well, we can go ahead and name her Phyllis, but we're calling her Adeline. In this story, Rachel did not survive to state her case, and son of her sorrow, that is just so sad. It's such a last word, is it not? And it's on their way. It's but a little distance to go. She was so close, yet so far. She was almost there, and she had hard labor. And does not life feel that way sometimes? You have so close, so little distance to go, and whatever you sought out, however good it was, however life-giving it was, gets snatched from you. This moment is a dark moment in that family's history. And how strange that someone would act out in a certain kind of way, and yet how familiar the deceptions that we 
might hear about or experience on events that we expect to be highs. The holidays are notorious for this. You expect to have a certain experience with your family and with yourself emotionally, and things happen a different kind of way. Moments that are low and painful and hard, you might expect a certain support, a certain affection, a mutual concern, and things happen. They go a certain kind of way. Thankfully, this is not the end of the story, but we might expect things to get better after they go south, but sometimes it might seem to get worse. After a list of sons, chiefs, and kings, we arrive at Joseph in Genesis 37, and he dreams of greatness. Verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. This is the New King James Version. Joseph was the son when Rachel survived, the son when there was a happier ending to a birth, the son when there was a bright light. In previous episodes, we talk about that favoritism and in terms of pride-based systems, one we might call supremacy and how it invokes jealousy. We went into James 3, verse 16, and which says where there is jealous self-interest, you will find disorder in every evil practice. Here sounds more like an interlude, mm-hmm. a way of managing grief. Before we have this indiscretion of Reuben, Reuben the firstborn of Leah... Now we hear of Joseph, who has a tunic of many colors. Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers, didn't learn the first time, and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed Come to bow down to the earth before you. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Is that not interesting? Sometimes things happen in the moment with our children, for instance, and they say something or they act out or they do something that may well be consistent with their thoughts or character. Some things that we don't have access to every moment of every day that are in their own minds or spirit or that God has for them or their own choices even, that affect their destiny. And sometimes we might react in that moment in frustration. This is a simple example, but when there are toys and things all over the house, and we want this precious child to help remember to clean up more often and organize and not just take on project after project. But we know, we keep in mind that, well, this is this person's gifting, and yes, I need to cultivate it, And I also need to boundary it. They need to learn how to respect the thresholds 
the limits of others and not take them beyond that threshold. Verse 12, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, isn't that interesting? The father sends him on an errand to seek after the very people who hate him. Is that not familiar with what the Lord has done? Is that not how it seems sometimes with us? We need to seek out people, and sometimes we don't want to, but there's something that needs to be made right, or there's something that needs to just be done, and we have to go through it instead of around it. This is different than situation where we might feel we need to chase after those who have rejected us, where we need to, in our own fight or flight, convince them otherwise. That's not the same thing. Here, Joseph is being faithful to the mission his father sent him on. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, the streamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard of it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Here Reuben, the Savior, the firstborn, doing his firstborn duties, chooses to reduce the harm. At least he doesn't go along with it, but he also doesn't advocate and say, hey, let's not hurt him, let's not wrong him. Certainly he was outnumbered also, perhaps trying to preserve himself. We do not know, but we do know that his plans did not work out. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, the coat that was a symbol of the father's favoritism, the love and their resentment. Then they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. How about that? I don't know about you, but who would have the stomach to sit down and eat a meal when you just were violent towards someone, roughed him up a bit, tossed him into a pit, was wanting to kill him? How can you, under that kind of adrenaline, I suppose, choose to just let's eat and relax, let's have a party, let's hang out? Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. 
Never mind that the Ishmaelites were their half-brothers through Abraham, through the line of Hagar, fulfilling the covenant of God to make a nation of princes out of them. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, in all fairness, the women in these lines of people were in some ways enslaved. They were making choices under the rules and guidelines of the paternal leader in their family. This is the first instance where we see brothers selling each other. And this sin would scale to their people 400 years later under the slavery in Egypt. All of this man drama from after a mother died. Now, we don't know where Reuben went, but then he comes back. Then Reuben returned to the pit. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes and he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more and I, where shall I go? 37 verse 29. Isn't that interesting? He is the one distressed. His emotional climate is different than theirs. He's worried. He's distressed. You are in a panic. When you are in a panic, you're trying to find where you need to go and you cannot think straight. He returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more and I where shall I go. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a goat, <laughs> killed the kid of the goats, a baby goat, and dipped the tunic in the blood. So this little child, this little baby animal dies because of their sin. It just keeps getting worse. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? I'm reminded of Adam when he said to God, God, this woman you gave me, she made me do it. She made me sin. This resentment that we hide so well with all of these schemes and gestures and rules and details and arguments, but really beneath it all is resentment. And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. So they let their father come to his own conclusion because when we come to our own conclusion, we stand by it. We believe it. Whereas if other people manufacture something and say it, we don't necessarily believe it. This is where the lies and manipulation of Satan in the beginning and sometimes the schemes that we do really use people's own reasoning faculties against them. It is highly manipulative and cruel and definitely a deficit of love. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.